Introducing Royal Caribbean's newest ship, Icon of the Seas, the ultimate family vacation. The ultimate six slides, eight neighborhoods, zero compromise vacation. The ultimate never done that, can't wait to do it vacation. The ultimate chillin' by a different pool every day of the week vacation. This is the Icon of Vacations. Icon of the Seas, arriving in 2024. Book today. Come seek the Royal Caribbean. Ships Registry Bahamas. Survivor 46 is here and so is On Fire, the only official Survivor podcast and we have a twist this season. The winner of Survivor 45, D. Valladares, will be joining us every week. We're going behind the scenes of the biggest moments, the how and the why things happen, and the strategy and analysis you can only get from someone like me, a Survivor winner. Listen to On Fire, the official Survivor podcast, wherever you get your podcasts. And welcome along to the latest episode of the Manchester Red podcast on the Manchester Evening News. We're available now on all the usual podcast platforms as well as YouTube as well. So if you want to go and check us out, check us out over there. You can watch us as we record as well. I'm today's host, George Smith, and I'm joined as always by our Chief United writer, Samuel Luckhurst and Rich Fay as well. Samuel, first of all, how are you? Yep, very well. Thank you, George. Nice to have you back on as always. Excellent. Thank you. And Rich, have you just about recovered from a... Classic FA Cup tie at the race course on Sunday afternoon? Just about, just about. We said on last week's podcast that that was the FA Cup tie I was actually looking forward to this weekend. And it, yeah, it was a contrast from Old Trafford on Saturday night, let us put it that way. Well, speaking of Saturday night, United, of course, continued their excellent run of form at home, making it 11 wins on the trot at Old Trafford, beating Reading 3 1 in the fourth round of the FA Cup. Uh, Samuel Rich, both of you were there on Saturday night. Um, it was a bit of a slow burner, certainly in the first half, but United, once they got that first goal, uh, it kind of opened the floodgates a little bit, Casemiro with a moment of brilliance. And in the end, it was more than enough to get the job done. Samuel, how, how would you reflect on the, the game as a whole? And it's another win on the board and into the fifth round of the cup. Well, I was particularly relieved because the replay would almost certainly have been played next Wednesday, which is, is my birthday. And although I, I don't really care about my birthday as much as I used to when I was younger, uh, the, the prospect of having to trek to, to Berkshire for an FA Cup replay uh, re- really did fill me with dread. So I was particularly uh, pleased from a from a pro- professional and a personal perspective when when, when Casemiro put United 1-0 up and from that point on they, they didn't look back uh, another three goal win uh, they seem to be making a habit of that in home games I think that's four of the last five home wins they've they've scored three goals in which is a, is decent consistency that those some of those games they they still should be taking teams to the cleaners but as as we've said time and again that's that's been an issue uh, for all of this season so far, and it probably will be to uh, until May as well. You would imagine, but in the end, they they did what they needed to do. Uh, I suspect that you could hear from some of the sports that there was a bit of anxiety because when when they had that goal disallowed in the first half, you start wondering is it going to be one of those nights? But they were patient about it. It was it was a very very good opening goal as well, and in the end they did get to to rest some players. And I, I just hope for the sake of of everyone, not least the United supporters who've been deprived of a fair few FA Cup away uh, ties in recent years, that they don't draw Reading at home as often as they have done in in the last fifteen years. I think this this was like the the fourth or fifth occasion that they've they've hosted them in an FA Cup tie. So. 
not really one to get the pulses racing like like at the race course on Sunday, but uh, from as I said, in the end, United got got the job done, and it's it's a very good look going into February that they're going to be competing on four fronts. Yeah, definitely. And Rich, to bring you in, you were there as you said to me at half time on Saturday night. It wasn't the the most inspiring of games, but it was it was Casemiro's brilliance really that unlocked things. Anthony as well, very very good in the second half, particularly. And, you know, Casemiro, he was brought in to be this big defensive destroyer, which he's done very, very well. But going forward, he, he's a lot more effective than probably a lot of people thought he would be. Yeah, like we said, you know, he, he almost got pigeonholed as the other guy at Real Madrid alongside Kroos and Tony, uh, Zoe Modric, who were the star players, really, particularly at sort of international level. And Casemiro somewhat went under the radar, like you said, had this reputation wrongly of being a bruiser, of being this defensive midfield, no-nonsense player. But he's an absolute joy to watch, a, a real privilege to be able to watch him in the United shirt. But after the game, it was put to Paul Ince what he made of Casemiro. And he, he said very rightly that, you know, he's not judged on what he does against Reading. And I think that was an important message for United to take. I think the other important aspect is what Paul Lins also said, that, you know, a year ago, Reading probably would have felt they could they could beat United and that just didn't happen. You know, they didn't really have any chance of doing it. I know it was the, the opportunity at the end of the first half, but it would have taken a colossal effort for them to actually get an upset. And it's testament that United have made these these straightforward games look straightforward because in the past they didn't do that and every team came to Old Trafford and believed they'd get something and you could make a case last season for United dropping points in every home game or not winning at home in any competition and that just isn't the case anymore so it's brilliant and a key part of that has been the the players that, that Ten Hag's brought in and particularly Casemiro, he is just brilliant to watch. But I suppose the one downside is that that knocks at Ericsson seen leaving the stadium on crutches. And it'll be interesting to see how that affects United's rhythm going forward because you know, United did the job and in the end you might say the you know the, the result justified the means of getting it. But it did still, from my point of view, seem a bit of a needlessly strong selection from Ten Hag. It could have backfired if this Ericsson injury is is quite severe. And while you might say that is respect to the competition, respect to Reading, it also maybe says that he doesn't quite trust those players in reserve yet because United have a lot of options, but you just never get the sense they're going to be used properly. He, he tends to change his team when the opposition caters for it and you maybe need to go a bit more defensive, except you're not going to have much of the ball. But in games where United are expected to dictate, they still go very, very strong. And yeah, I'm just wondering if maybe that was a hint from Ten Hag that he doesn't quite trust some of those players in reserve. Yeah, certainly. And you've actually set me quite nicely up there for my next point. And Samuel, to take it back to you, obviously, Rich has mentioned there about um, going for quite a strong side at the weekend. It's something Ten Hag has done really throughout his tenure certainly in both domestic cup competitions where managers of the big clubs in the past have rang the changes and, you know, blooded youngsters into the fold. So I think Ten Hag does deserve respect for that. But if this Christian Eriksen injury does prove to be quite serious with Donny van der Beek already out, Scott McTominay missed out the weekend as well. United are quite thin on the ground in midfield, aren't they? Certainly for a ball-playing midfielder. They certainly are and. Really, Ericsson in both games last week, there was a case not to start him in, in either of them. Uh, I think Fred's been very unfortunate in, in the last three games not to have started any of them. I'd have certainly started him against Arsenal. 
when he didn't start against Arsenal, I thought, well, he must come in against Forest. And when he didn't come in against Forest, you'd think, well, he's got to come in against Reading. For there to have only been one change was was genuinely surprising. And it's very rarely that, that you feel surprised in football. And I don't think many United fans would have would have predicted that lineup with Maguire being the only player coming in, which felt like a political selection because if he can't even get a start against Reading, uh, it reopens the debate about his future. And I think his his future is only going one way. I don't expect anything imminent there, but certainly as far as the summer is concerned, that he has got to assess his his situation at United unless something drastically happens that all of a sudden parachutes him back into the team. But Ten Hag, as we've as we've said a number of times, he doesn't really do weaken teams. I think the most he's rotated all season was was it eight changes against Charlton, I think, uh, who who obviously are a League One team. But he he treated Reading with probably too much respect in 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 a way to to have made just the one change. Uh, Reading a fourteenth in the Championship. They've they've got a cast of you know, Premier League years players if you like uh, Shane Long was even on the bench and I remember when he first played for Reading and, and I think he played for Reading the first time they got promoted to the Premier League as well in, in 2006 so um, there's there's a bit of a bit of symmetry there but but there has to come a point where United have got eight games in February and, and Ten Hag even referenced it I think he got the uh, the, 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 I think he got it wrong slightly when he said they had 10 games in 30 days but I think it's it's 9 games in 30 days but that that load on players you've you've got to rotate and he's not really doing that too much at all um, I mean I, I could kind of see the logic in, in playing such a strong side because he's probably looking at the Palace game uh, on Saturday and this Forest game in between and because United have got such a good lead going into the Forest game that may have altered his thinking in that he looked at the result and thought well I will rest players in that second leg because they can't possibly cock that up but I'll have to play them against Reading so they're not undercooked for the Palace game otherwise they've gone too long without playing a game and that's that's not to anyone's benefit really so uh, it wouldn't surprise me if Varane who hasn't had a kick in the last couple of games actually comes in against uh, against Forest in the the second leg I think it would actually be quite sensible and then you take him off maybe after an hour or whatever it will be and then he can play against Forest of course every player whenever they play there is a risk of injury but when United are making so few changes in between games, it is going to get magnified because there's clearly an unwillingness on Ten Hag's part to rotate. I get that. He wants to win the FA Cup. He wants to win the League Cup. The FA Cup is a very good opportunity now for United. Arsenal, Chelsea and Liverpool are all out. Um, they beat Tottenham very well this season. They've beaten City this season. So they've got to fancy their chances of going on a good cup run, depending on uh, tonight's draw. Uh, we're speaking on Monday. I think the draw's at about 7 o'clock. And so he's he's bound to treat that seriously. But February is in such a, a mouth-watering month in terms of the fixtures with back-to-back games against Leeds. Uh, they've, they've got Barcelona twice a week apart. And they will almost certainly have a cup final at the very end of it. So... This month coming up is is absolutely vital, and he is trying to keep some players fresh. As I just mentioned, Varane is is probably the most um, obvious uh, player to go to there, and understandable as well, given his injury record. But Ericsson is. I mean, we we don't want to go on about what happened in in Copenhagen uh, during the European Championship. 
but I did I did ask Tenaga in the season, you know, trying trying to be polite about it as well. That essentially say, you know, this guy pretty much his, his heart stopped beating on the pitch. You, is there going to come a time where you have to rest him? And also Ericsson played in the World Cup as well, so it is surprising that Ericsson hasn't been rested more often. But there's not really a light for light replacement there. Fred is a good foil for Casemiro, but he's not exactly identical to Ericsson. That said. You know, I, I still think Fred's been very unfortunate not to have started more often recently. But in in not starting as often, I think his reputation has probably uh, improved in the eyes of of United fans who were maybe a bit sniffy about him when he when he was being overused under uh, Ole Gunnar Solskjaer. Yeah, he certainly stepped it up this season. And another man that has stepped up recently, I would argue, is is Anthony. Um, you know, most people thought that either Facundo Palestri or Alejandro Ganacho would have started on the right on Saturday night. But obviously, Ten Hag, as Samuel said, probably looked at the two games, Forrest and Reading, and thought, we've got a 3-0 lead in the in the Carabao Cup semi-final. Let's do our best to keep the FA Cup run going as well. Rich, I think Anthony's inclusion on, on Saturday night was definitely justified. He had a really good game. And after what we saw at Forrest last Wednesday night and on Saturday, even though there's slow signs of progression, he seems to be moving in the right direction at long last. Yeah, and uh, you know he is still so new, not just to English football, but to European football, that I do think United you know, just need to give him as many minutes as they can and, and hope that he builds that confidence because it's going to be a learning curve. He's going to have to adapt his game. He still maybe will frustrate some fans when he stops the play, looks to come back on himself. That is just his style. You know, He's not this type of winger who beats a player for pace, really. He likes to beat them through trickery and artistry. And at times that can be frustrating because it can halt the momentum of an attack. But he just needs to play as often as possible and, and to learn really how to adapt his game to, to English football. There's, there's definitely been, been positives. I think that he's adapted well to having Wan-Bissaka behind him as well. It's a different sort of fullback support than Dallow was offering earlier in the season. But Anthony clearly has this preference to cut inside whenever he can to link up play, lots of quick passes. And I think it is just a, a case of bedding in, really. I mean, the price tag will always be used against him. It's not his fault. He didn't choose that. You know, that is just something he's got to deal with. And it's as much on Ten Hag as it is on Anthony for that to be justified, really. But United have had a right wing issue now for the best part of a decade. And on Saturday night, the right wing was causing all the issues for, for Reading because I thought... Wambasaka, okay, he wasn't linking up with Anthony that directly, but they were both getting on the ball quite a bit. Wambasaka was getting in some really good attacking positions. It wasn't always choosing the right thing to do when he was there, but it was encouraging to see. And I think, as well, from Wambasaka's point of view, part of the reason why he's looking so much better is because he's got an actual designated right winger to play off and for them to actually work as a partnership. Whereas in the past, you know, United just haven't really had anyone on the right wing who's been a, a steady fix there. And they've always had to have this sort of plaster over a cut, you know. And, you know, it's got to take time. It's got to take time, Anthony. We can't be expecting too much from him straight away. But he's serving a purpose. United have needed the right winger. They've got one and they've got to stick by him now. And again, as Paul Lynch said, it's Reading in the cup. These aren't the games that will define you as a Man United player and there's some very big games on the horizon particularly that that Barcelona double header and that'll be a game where United want Anthony to be going into it full of confidence on a good run of form and yeah I'm, I'm, I'm impressed with him I think he's doing alright there's still a lot more 
for him to to do. And of course, there's always going to be an element of wingers being judged by their their goal output and those metrics. But in terms of what he's done, he's come in, fixed a key issue in the United squad. He's getting better. He's settling into life in, in a new country. And I think there is encouragement there. Yeah, I would agree with that. I mean, personally, I thought he had a difficult afternoon at Arsenal, but, you know, he's since responded with a key hand in Veghorst goal at uh, Nottingham Forest, um, got the assist for Casemiro's uh, opener on um, Saturday night. But Samuel Richards mentioned there about the importance of him now having a, you know, a right back behind him that seems to suit his style of play, Aaron Wambasaka. And we're recording this with, you know, just over 24 hours or so of the transfer window left. Not many people probably would have expected at the start of the month Aaron Wambasaka still to be here and certainly not seemingly at the moment, being Eric Ten Hag's plans for, you know, a key position in the squad with obviously Dallow's injury has been absolutely superb. I think at the start of the month, the the expectation was he would stay because he'd had a, a few starts and Ten Hag might have said just before the January window opened that they had competition now at right back, which obviously until the World Cup they didn't have because Wan-Bissaka was was barely available. I think he was available for something like six games and he only came on in one he was told in the summer that he was he was free to leave, but like every player who was part of the wreckage of last season, um, they were pretty much unsellable. United were in such a weak position to sell players, and that's why there were no real takers for for Wan-Bissaka. But by not playing, his his reputation pretty much recovered, and he's he's clearly good enough to play for for a number of Premier League clubs, probably the majority of Premier League clubs. But but for now, it's it. As you said, with with Dallow's injury at the World Cup and then the setback he he had against Charlton, I believe it was, that has allowed Wambisaka ample game time to to improve. Uh, I'd hesitate to say show what he can do because he is still. Uh, I mean, Rich said it last week. The Arsenal game was him just hitting a ceiling, and that ceiling is unbreakable. I don't ever see him being uh, a, a fullback in the guise of João Cancelo or. Kieran Trippier or Reese James, uh, I think that is beyond him. As a defensive right back, he is he's brilliant when he's on it. He's he's still got flaws, and and we saw that against Arsenal with Eddie Nketiah's equaliser. If you want to, if you want a goal against Wan Bissaka, always cross to the far post where he's likely to be because he's always switched off. But in the in the main, in the last five or six weeks, he's had um, he's had a, a mini resurgence, but. When it comes to the summer, if Ten Hag is telling United, I want a new right-back who's more aligned with my thinking, they have to sell him. Because it's it's been that muddled thinking, that indecision in the past that has held United back. When Bissaka has been at the club four years come the summer, there's not really a compelling case to, to, not, um, to, to not sell him, I'd say. Uh, you know, he's, he's doing well at the moment. But again, if the manager really thinks a right back who is more aligned with what he wants, who's more attack minded, I know Serginho Des was obviously looked at, and and he's not had a particularly uh, productive time of it with 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 AC Milan on loan this season, and he's probably the wrong profile, and and it seemed a bit too convenient in the summer as well, given that he was another one of these players who was familiar to Ten Hag from playing at Ajax and playing in the Eredivisie, but. You know, they they could be in a good position with with Wan Bissaka in that he's you know his his valuation has gone up. They're not going to ever make a profit on him, given the money that they paid for him at the time. But they have to look at it as a win win situation. If he doesn't leave, they've got someone who's offering reliable support for Dallo, 
if he does want to leave and if there's a taker, you sell him and you get some money into um, and you get more funds to, to be spent on other areas of the squad. Dallo is still the best right back at United. Uh, it's easy for a period of... Uh, you go a period where a player hasn't played that much and another player's played and he's played reasonably well and people can be quite fickle, but Dallo has had a very progressive uh, 12, 13 months with United and if if you're going off Ten Hag Ten Hag's impact his coaching Dallo has he smashed through the odd the odd ceiling or two and there's probably more to to I think I still think there's another level he could go up to as well it's just a pity for him that he you know he, he did he did well to get into the te- the Portugal team at the World Cup got injured and then he got injured quite quickly again for United having gone a long long time without getting any injuries. I think he'd gone something like two years, just over two years, without um, sustaining an injury. And that dates back to his time spent in Milan, where his fitness improved tremendously and he picked up things on the defensive side of it. So when Dallow's fit, he still has to start for me. And he, he was having a very, very good season for United until, unfortunately, pinged his hamstring, sorry, twinged his hamstring against, uh, against Morocco. Does Monday at the office feel like a storm? Not with Microsoft Copilot. That feeling when Copilot gets everyone up to speed instantly? It's sunny again. When Copilot simplifies complex data so your teams can act, that sun's shining on a beach. And when Copilot uncovers hidden insights, you're on that beach with your people and you find buried treasure. That's Microsoft Copilot. Learn more at Microsoft.com slash AI for all. With threats to our nation waiting around every corner, adaptability is more important than ever. When conditions change without notice, quick strategic thinking is crucial. And with obstacles consistently impending, determination is essential in overcoming them. It's this willingness, decisiveness, and resilience that sets Marines apart. With our fighting spirit, we don't just fight battles, we win them. Marines are the constant our nation counts on to fight the unknown. And through adaptable problem solving, we do just that. Learn more at Marines.com. Hey, it's Kaylee Cuoco for Priceline. Ready to go to your happy place for a happy price? Well, why didn't you say so? Just download the Priceline app right now and save up to 60% on hotels. So whether it's Cousin Kevin's Kazoo concert in Kansas City, go Kevin! Or Becky's Bachelorette Bash in Bermuda. You never have to miss a trip ever again. So download the Priceline app today. Your savings are waiting. Go to your happy place for a happy price. Yeah, certainly I would agree with that. He's been, for me, along with Rashford, probably United's most improved player this season. I think the sides are there as well. You know, since back in Thailand and Australia, that he was aligned with the way that Ten Hag wants to play. Um, But obviously you've touched on there about the Wan-Bissaka situation. Might be something to look at in the summer. Uh, Obviously it's deadline day, January transfer window deadline day tomorrow. Um, United have brought two faces in this month, about Veghorst and Jack Butland. Um, with you know just over 24 hours to go, Samuel, it doesn't look as though it's going to be the the busiest ending to the window at Old Trafford. Certainly not in terms of incomings, anyway. No, no. Sorry, I, I just had a message from a colleague suggesting that United were going to Las Vegas in the summer for their pre-season tour. So that's that's always cause for celebration. Uh, and, and forgive me there. Uh, but as far as yeah, as far as deadline day goes, on, on to far more important matters. It it always seemed clear at the start of the month that the 
player coming in, a striker was always going to be a loan option or certainly not not commanding much of a fee there whatsoever. And they, they got that done quite quickly. And, and also with, uh, I mean, Dubravka is going to be a pub quiz answer, you, you'd imagine, for, for years to come. But they, they turned that around quite quickly. I think he left on the... The Sunday, Butland was done four or five days later, so that was pretty uh, swiftly concluded. And Veghorst could have been a very complex deal. And I think the reason why none of us actually mentioned him as a possibility was because he was already out on loan. Uh, other than that, he ticked all the boxes in terms of being uh, Dutch, relatively cheap, possible loan option, um, you know, the kind of striker that United, who had a skill set that none of the forwards at United have got. And um, as as far as tomorrow goes now, I think you know Rich Rich knows a lot more than than I do in terms of uh, the the youngsters who could go out on loan. But it seems like it will be limited to that. Today is an example, I suppose, of how unpredictable football can be. Obviously, Cancelo and, and Guardiola's relationship has has not been great in recent weeks, but it's still still a bit of a shock that he's on his way to to Bayern Munich on on loan uh, with I think they might have an obligation to buy him permanently given that this is one of the certainly in recent years he's been one of the best fullbacks in the Premier League but that's that's how ruthless city can be and you know with with united they they're really in the process now of just finalizing their plans for the summer um Ten Hag, I asked him on Friday, did he know the areas that he wanted to strengthen? He said yes, pretty much. And they're also finalising their list of players who uh, they deem sellable or who, who they will try to sell in the summer as well. Because with these new FFP or these new UEFA sustainability regulations that are coming in, there's increased pressure on clubs to sell uh, players, which, I mean, it's it's still extraordinary. You look at the money that's been spent this month, um by by the Premier League clubs, it, it makes up about eighty percent, maybe nearly ninety percent of the spending by the the top five um, leagues in Europe, and I think the biggest transfers involving clubs in Serie A, La Liga, uh, the Bundesliga, and Liga have been sales to Premier League clubs. Uh, I think there was a loan that Arsenal submitted last month for seventy million pounds. They're now trying to buy Moises Caicedo for seventy million pounds. Uh, Chelsea's have got this scattergun approach that you think is I mean something would have to go right there for that to be completely justified but with the amount of players they've got in their books they're going to be in a similar situation to United in in recent summers and that some clubs are just not one are not going to meet their valuation of the players who are surplus there whereas United because a lot of players left on freeze last summer and because, as, as Murta acknowledged in one of the fans' forums, they're pretty much ahead of the curve with their rebuild because of the investment that they had to make, really. And look, let's face it, a couple of, of those deals were enforced by by the hammering at Brentford on August 13th. They don't need as many incomings in the summer coming up. I think it's everybody would agree a striker is essential. They do need a younger midfielder, possibly a right-back. And then other areas, you're looking at it as say if Harry Maguire goes they've, they've got to bring a centre back in because the alternatives well they've only got three players there because Tuanzebe and Jones will probably be released in the summer so they'd have to sign a centre back and that might suit Ten Hag as well because he might think well we've got two right footed centre backs Martinez left footed centre back I've got Luke Shaw but I could do with another left footed centre back um, so I think they've their plan is pretty is is looking pretty sound at the moment 
but it, some supporters are still living in fantasy land. I mean, there was a report earlier in the month, I think, that they triggered Enzo Fernandez's release clause, which is some like hundred odd million pounds. I don't know where they think United were going to ever get this money from. United uh, do not have really any money to spend of any significant note at the moment because two of the big, well, their two biggest signings in the summer were bankrolled. They own, I think, I think they owe something like three hundred six million pounds in transfer fees to clubs. Ten years ago, it was thirty-four million pounds. So that that has that's not just so much shot up; it's it's gone off the charts. And they're not in a position of strength yet. They they need to get through this season. They need to have won a trophy. They need to be back in the Champions League. If if they are under new ownership, those those owners or the owner will will take on um, the issues that still exist at the moment. But they will have to sell to buy in the summer, and in previous summers that has been a constraint or it's been seen as negative. I think looking ahead to next season, that has to be a positive because United are, are pretty inept at selling players, and if they're in a position of strength to sell players, and you look at those players that they would probably sell or could sell, uh, you would imagine there'll be ta- there'll be takers for them, and that can only be a good thing. The striker is the priority. I'm pretty confident they will have or somehow get the funds or they'll put it on the company credit card to get a big striker in, whoever that may be. But that's going to be a huge investment. If you're talking about United, looking at Frankie de Jong or Jude Bellingham, Bellingham's probably quite fanciful given the competition, but de Jong certainly, I still think there could be something, you know, that could be worth a second pursuit, even though I, I just hope that it would be done by 1st of June uh, rather than dragging into mid or late August. But you could see that still happening. But if they are to bankroll that or to have the funds for that, they have to sell players and although it's not as bloated a squad now, you could still probably reel off half a dozen, seven, close to ten players that they should be looking to get off the books or put, at least put them out on loan with the loaning club covering the wages in full. And speaking of loan clubs, Rich, as Samuel said, you've been across the uh, the stories of the youth players that could depart on deadline day. Um, Zidane Iqbal, Charlie McNeil, probably among the leading contenders to possibly go. Can you bring us up to any speed with any further developments on that with the deadline day tomorrow? Yeah, I mean, Charlie McNeil is the one that's going to probably be the headline departure. He's still in talks over a low move. Uh, like I said on last week's podcast as well, that is very much the priority is to be playing. They don't really care what level it's at. Obviously, they're not going to drop too far down, but they're you know they're happy for him to play in League Two if that means he's going to be playing regularly every week. He just wants to be out there getting a proper taste of of senior football really, and and, and to be cutting his teeth in, in in the pro game. And you know he had a work experience loan with your beloved. Sheffield Wednesday uh, last season I think he was there for a week where he was allowed to sort of do match preparation train with the first team but wasn't eligible to to play in games Iqbal's a, a difficult one because particularly after this Ericsson injury you just can't really see why United would allow him to go out on loan because Van der Beek's already out to the end of the season like I said McTominay missed at the weekend it's not in United's interest, really. They've got to be selfish. They're in a good position now to get top four and win at least one domestic trophy, but they don't want to weaken themselves. So they have to be loaning up players who realistically aren't going to get any minutes in the first team at the moment. And for Iqbal, it's frustrating because he's not in the first team. He's been leapfrogged by Kobe Mainu, but he still is a player who has made his senior debut and, you know, 
is, is has gone up the pecking order since the weekend, even though he's not played. So I, I can't see that one happening. They're still looking to send a few more, maybe lower profile players out on loan. And, and as we said last week as well, they they like these sort of loan deals to non-league clubs where they can have sort of dual registration and have the youngsters still eligible to play for the United youth teams but can also play in non-league matches because it's not part of the uh, the football league's pyramid. So there's going to be some movement. United are still working on, on some deals, but I don't think it's going to maybe be as extensive as as some fans would have would have liked. And of course, like we said, there's, there's so much mitigation in, in these loans that the, the most promising youngsters, by virtue of having so much promise, are often quite unlikely to go out on loan because they, they could have a role to play for United over, over the coming weeks. So, yeah, I think it's going to be McNeil as the headliner and a few others uh, beyond that. But, you, you know, there's always going to be mitigation, like we said, with Iqbal. I just can't see it happening anymore. Yeah, it's certainly a bit of a conundrum, that one. And Samuel, to be fair to Zidane Iqbal, he was arguably United's breakout star of the pre-season tour in Australia and Thailand. Um are you surprised that the fact that he's not stored a single minute of first-team football under his belt, he's not played since the draw with Young Boys in 2021 in December under Ralph Rangnick? It, it is a surprise. He, he did very well on tour and th- I suppose the galling thing for him now is that Maynou's ahead of him. He's the one who's getting on the bench. He's the one who's who's had a start this season, who has come on in an FA Cup game as well and I think what makes it especially galling for Iqbal is that there have been a couple of under-21 games this season that he's been withdrawn from because the first team have been playing the following night under the expectation he'd be needed for the first team and then he's not quite made the cut in the end he's been the 21st man the the injured player or an unwell player has been fit enough to make the bench or, or start a game so they, they're, he's in a bit of an invidious position at the moment because the the club have been of the opinion that if he plateaus and he's just training with the first team not playing they're okay with that I don't think he's necessarily okay with that because he's had He's had that experience of of making his debut, of going on a pre-season tour, of doing well on that tour, and he's, I mean, the, the under twenty one league, it's it's not, it's not really beneficial for him anymore, and you forget how young he is. He's he is still nineteen. Uh, I think because he's been a name for quite a while, it feels like he's already in his twenties, but time just goes so so quickly it doesn't seem that long ago that Ted and Mengi was 17 year old in the youth cup team now I think he's is, is he I think he must be 20 now and he didn't go on loan in the summer because he was injured he's up against it now to get a loan deal before the end of the season if that doesn't happen you can't see him playing any competitive football between now uh, and the rest of the season so you're looking at August until he next plays a competitive game, which is disastrous for his development. This is someone who's played on loan at Derby County and, and Birmingham in the Championship. You know, quite quite big clubs at a very very good level. And of course, if United send a player on loan to a Championship club, and they're deemed good enough for the Championship, United are essentially of the opinion that they've got a shot of making it and and coming back to the first team squad and and, and staying there. So. I, I, I do sympathise with Iqbal. I, I, I think because Maynou is there, I think United should just allow him to, to go out on loan. But of course, the longer you wait, the longer you leave it, and then a couple of things happen, like McTominay not being in the squad and Ericsson leaving the ground on crutches on Saturday, that is bound to affect pe- uh, the, the decision-makers, um, 
and, and what they decide to do there. And Rich as well, another one, just briefly, is Deshaun Bernard as well. He had obviously a really good loan spell at Hull City last season. Um, is he one that you think possibly could sneak out of the exit door before the bell? Yeah, he's certainly one player that United are, are happy for, for him to leave again. He needs to be playing senior minutes really now. I mean, he's he's a player who often gets sort of categorised as, as a youngster, but he isn't a youngster anymore. You know, I mean, how old is he? 22 years old. Yeah, so like he's that. a player who needs to be out playing proper football now. He's, he's impressed on two different loan spells but he's sort of plateaued as well and it's by no means a, a criticism of him, but you just don't see a, a long-term future for him at United anymore. He's a player who will go on to have, I'm sure, a very good football league career, but just needs to be out there and maybe have a have a fresh start because you often find it that these players, they burst onto the scene, don't quite ever make it um, in terms of the first team and they just get caught at a crossroads where there's no point playing them in the youth team anymore and they're not good enough to to be involved regularly at a senior level. So from his point of view, he's still keen to, to get out the door. That's That's been the case throughout the window, really. But it's just matching him with a club where it's going to benefit him as well. Because from United's point of view, there's always a reluctance just to send a player out on loan and to get them out of their way, really, because they still have a duty of care to the player for them to develop and have a better chance of making it in the game. So they've got to match them with clubs where there's going to be a guarantee of, of minutes and, and a key role to play and a team that's going to benefit them as an individual. Some players thrive by going to relegation threatened clubs, some don't, and you've got to match them to the, to the right club and to the right manager as well. It's only a kick. A jump. A block. It's only a serve. It's only a tackle. A run. It's only for the fans. After all, it's only pressure. You got this. Adidas. This episode is brought to you by Hyperice, the leader in advanced warm-up and recovery technology. They have tons of innovative products, like Venom-heated wearables to help soothe sore back muscles, Normatec compression boots to speed up recovery and increase circulation, and Hypervolt massage guns to improve mobility. Loved by athletes like Naomi Osaka and Erling Holland. Try them yourself. Get 10% off your order with the code MOVE at hyperrice.com. Yeah, right fit. Certainly important for any player, obviously, of a young age. But uh, to wrap this up, guys, obviously, the relentless schedule that it's been continues on Wednesday night. Nottingham Forest, another game. Um, a marathon at the minute, it really is. Forest in the second leg of their Carabao Cup semi-final. Samuel, surely this can't possibly go wrong. United three and up from the first leg, practically got one foot down Wembley Way already. Do you think Ten Hag will maybe this time ring quite a few changes? I would imagine there'll be more than one change on on, on this occasion. There, there certainly needs to be. I think the Ericsson injury is is probably you'd think that is sufficiently. Uh, scared Ten Hag, or maybe not scared Ten Hag. He doesn't really strike me the person who gets scared of of, of anything, but that's that's certainly a red flag going into what is a an extremely hectic month, a month of eight games in in twenty six days, uh, which is when you when you put it like that, and you look at how well, febrile some of those games will be against uh, Leeds United, how. Um, just just the mental toll of it as well if they're if they're you know going toe to toe with Barcelona and 
that goes the full distance with with extra time uh, the the focus that's going to be required in in that leg they're coming up against the the best team in Spain at the moment so from from our perspective it's it's great to have so many games to cover and some really tantalising games as well. Uh, obviously, Leeds is a huge rivalry. Barcelona, United, there's a rich history in European competition there, uh, dating back to the Cup Winners' Cup game in, in, in 84. But, yeah, it's they're, they're in a good position now with, with the Forest game, and that, that has really helped them. The fact that they won 3-0 last week and then they had an eminently winnable game against Reading to prepare for this very taxing month... Um, where of course I mean you can't underestimate the Premier League situation as well I mean that it's not I think because of their form recently it's almost felt like that they could have had or could have top four boxed off quite early but Tottenham have made up a bit of ground on them they can't they can't really slacken off there whatsoever um, Palace rarely get beaten badly by United at Old Trafford they've had a decent record there in recent years so they certainly can't be remotely complacent for that game next Saturday so as as important as getting to a cup final there's no question in my mind that the most important game for United this week is is Palace on Saturday Yeah it's certainly another big one in that battle for the top four and Rich just to wrap things up United more than likely, I know we, anything can happen in football, are likely to face Newcastle in the final of the Carabao Cup at Wembley at the end of February. Do you think United have got what it takes to, to go all the way and, and get a trophy boxed off pretty quickly? Under ten hard. Yeah, yeah, I do. I, I do. I mean, Newcastle at home was a really tricky game this season, of course. It was the nil-nil. There was that controversial disallowed goal for, for Ronaldo in, in that game. Mainu was on the bench because Ericsson was ill. It was, you know, that the, they are a really good team, Newcastle. They're the only team, certainly heading into the weekend, who had more clean, sheet, clean sheets than United in any of the top five European leagues. So they're a tough team to beat. They've got real good momentum around them. It'll be a real good party atmosphere for the Newcastle fans if they do get to Wembley. But United have those, those players who have been there and won it. They've done it before. The likes of Varane, the likes of Casemiro, they come into their own in, in those sort of occasions. They've got such a winning mentality. It's an infectious one as well that, that has really rubbed off on the rest of the United team. And, you know, not even the Carabao Cup, but you'd say United have a real good chance of a domestic cup double this season. Obviously, there's the mitigation of the FA Cup drawing, as Samuel said, we're recording it before that. But, you know, for example, City could get Tottenham in it and Tottenham typically have City's cards. They, they've quite often found a way to beat them so you know it can really open up United are second favourites the second highest ranked team left in the FA Cup they're the highest ranked team left in the Carabao Cup like you said one foot in the final yeah United fans should be very confident and they might not be the two biggest prizes in football but they can certainly be the springboard for them to then go on and win them in a few years time yeah no doubt about that I mean to end the year with one two maybe even three trophies you never know if the Europa League goes to plan as well and get in the top four it would be a remarkable remarkable season and a far cry from what happened last year and a long way from the uh, defeats to Brentford and Brighton at the start of the season but that's all we've got time for on today's episode of the Manchester's Red Podcast thank you to Samuel and Rich for joining me this Monday lunchtime thank you George yeah thank you very much you're very welcome uh, and as I said at the beginning uh, we are available on all of our, the usual podcast platforms and now on YouTube as well just search Manchester's Red and you can subscribe to the channel there we'll be back later in the week to reflect on the second leg against Forest and look ahead to Saturday's clash with Crystal Palace at Old Trafford as well so take care and we'll catch you again very soon Thank you.